Christ. I want to invite you this morning to take your Bibles and turn to the book of Philippians, chapter number 1. Philippians chapter 1. And we're going to begin uh, this morning in a series on the book of Philippians. Now, I will admit at the outset, and this should be of no surprise to you, that the book of Philippians is one of my favorite books. Why should that come as no surprise? Because I say that about just about every book that I preach through. Uh, it's one of my favorites. How many favorite books of the Bible do I have? Like 66, maybe, something like that. Uh, no, in reality, we understand they're all, uh, they're all good. But uh, this, this particular book is one uh, that uh, I find some of the, some of the most encouraging uh, passages of Scripture are found in these four chapters of the book of Philippians. And before we really get into this this morning, uh, I want to just mention a couple of things, that or a few things, I guess, that really, uh, to me, just make this a special book of the Bible. Uh, The book of Philippians, of course, one of those epistles, a letter that was written by the hand of Paul to a church, the church at Philippi. And yet, this, this little book, four chapters long, is just packed full of doctrinal truth. It's a short book, but, uh, but it's full of truth that helps us to better understand the ways of God and the, the life that we ought to live uh, as Christians. And primarily, really, it is a book of encouragement towards spiritual growth. And, and I hope that that will be the end of uh, our study of this book, is that we will grow in our knowledge of God and our walk with God and our love for God as a result of studying this book. Another thing I love about the book of Philippians is, I, I have trouble really putting this into words, but, but I, uh, follow me as I say this, it really humanizes biblical truth and timelines. What do I mean by that? Have you ever studied history before? And just felt like it was just a bunch of dates and facts and eh, it wasn't really all that interesting. And then maybe if you've studied history through the lens of certain individuals or families and kind of tracked them through it, uh, it just kind of brings these facts to reality. It kind of helps it to hit home a little bit more as you uh, are able to, to visualize it in the life of an individual. Well, the book of Philippians is a very personal book between Paul and this church. They had a close personal relationship. There are specific names of people mentioned. And it really helps us to just kind of take these truths, these biblical truths, but really understand how they work in a very practical and real life way. And then probably the greatest reason that I love the book of Philippians is that it is a reminder that in the midst of the worst circumstances of life, the Christian still has hope and joy and rejoicing. Uh, the, the word joy is found in these four chapters six different times. The word rejoice or rejoicing is found 12 times. The word confident or confidence is found five times. Think about this. The stability that we have in life is our confidence. What we know about God and His promises and His ways The word peace is found multiple times. And many other words of encouragement and help uh, are found in this book. You say, wow, that's really upbeat. Yeah, here's the thing, though. It was written from a prison cell. And here's Paul in the middle of 
circumstances that we would not wish upon ourselves. And if we found ourselves there, we'd probably say this is the worst of times. And what does he do? He turns and he writes a letter to a church and he tells them about their joy and rejoicing and confidence and the hope that they have. And it's really a, a, a book of encouragement and joy in the midst of difficulty. Isn't it wonderful to know that as we just sang about a moment ago, we can have peace? And that peace comes from God. So we're in Philippians chapter 1. And if you're able to stand as we read, I invite you to do that. We're going to begin reading in verse number 1 of Philippians 1. It says, Paul and Timotheus, the servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus which are at Philippi, with the bishops and deacons, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, Always in every prayer of mine for you all, making request with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Thank you for standing. You can be seated. These six verses that we just read, many times maybe are read just kind of as an introduction to the rest of the book. And I will admit to you that I have been guilty at times of just kind of skimming over and glossing over uh, the first few verses in the epistles because it seems like they all start essentially the same way. It's almost like we, uh, we're introduced to a letter and, you know, the first paragraph is all the pleasantries, you know. Dear so-and-so, I hope this letter finds you in good health and peace, you know. And, 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 and whatever, whatever it is, I hope that this finds you well. And we kind of go, yeah, yeah, let's get to the meat of this, you know. But if we really stop and take a look, even at the greeting here, we find some important information. But in, a, in addition to the information, we find some truths that are really helpful to our lives. We find that Paul and Timothy together, the servants of Jesus Christ, are writing to an established church, the church at Philippi. And this letter is addressed to the saints in Christ Jesus, which are at Philippi. Now the word saint is one that has been hijacked and misconstrued. And, and you'll even hear people say, well, I'm no saint. What they mean by that is I'm not this perfect image of a perfect Christian. And the idea is that you know, the, the saints are a separate class of, of certain people who have really achieved a level. And in fact, there are some groups out there that have, uh, have canonized, you know, the saints and certain ones. They are recognized officially as saints. Do you know what a saint is in the Bible? A saint is a believer in Jesus Christ. He's a child of God. And if you know Christ as your Savior, if you've been born again, you are a saint... That's, what, that's who this is addressed to, Christians, believers in Christ, the saints. And he says, I, I, I'm writing to the saints at Philippi with, notice this, with the bishops and deacons. He, he addresses the two offices of a New Testament church, bishop and deacon or pastor and deacon. And so they're there. And he says, I, I'm writing to the church that's at Philippi. Now look with me, if you would, at verse number two. He says, grace be unto you and peace. 
from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if you read the book of Romans and the book of 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, and Galatians, and Ephesians, and Colossians, and 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians, you know what you find? You find this statement. Essentially, sometimes word for word, sometimes slightly different. Basically, in all of Paul's epistles, he writes this greeting. Grace and peace be unto you. Grace be unto you and peace. Something like that. And again, it would be so easy for us to just read on past that. Okay, this is just a greeting. But think about this. Even though this was probably a common greeting in this time... Think about what the statement is. He is wishing for them and hoping for them that they will experience the grace of God in their lives. My prayer for you, my desire, is that you would have the grace of God in your life. Now, what is grace? We talk about grace a lot. We use the term. We sing songs about it. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound. We sing of the grace of God, grace that is greater than our sin. But do we really know what it means? The word grace has the the, the connotation that it is something that is received with no effort on our own part. It is a gift. Grace is a gift. And the Bible actually mentions several different or grace in several different contexts. The first that probably comes to most of our minds is that of salvation. When a person is saved, they are saved by grace, right? Ephesians chapter 2, we're familiar with it. For by grace are ye saved through faith. We understand that that salvation is by grace. And you cannot earn your salvation. You don't earn your way to heaven. Nobody is going to stand before God. And and I've talked to people like this. I I talked to a guy a few weeks ago. He said, I really am just hoping... Because I asked him, I said, when you die, do you know that you're going to heaven? And he said, I'm just, I try to do right by people. I try to do good to others. I try to treat people like I would want to be treated. And I just hope that when I stand before God, and this is what he said, the green check marks will outweigh the red X's. In other words, that my good will somehow outweigh my bad, and I'll be okay. You know, most of the world thinks that way to some degree or another. And most religions teach that. Go treat people the way that they want to be treated, that you would want to be treated, and do the best you can, and God will be okay with that. He understands that you're not perfect. Friend, that is not biblical salvation. Do you know what biblical salvation is? We are all condemned, guilty sinners that have no hope of eternal life and heaven. But Christ came to this earth and lived a sinless life and took your punishment and my punishment upon himself and died in our place. He shed his blood, not for his own sins, but for ours, so that we can be forgiven, so that we can be saved. And here is the invitation. Whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. If you will place your faith in Christ, He will save you. Galatians tells us that if if it was of works, 
it could not be by grace. That's a contradiction of terms. Grace is a free gift. It is something that is given, not deserved. If we worked for our salvation, if we did enough good things that God could accept us, then it would no more be God's grace that saved us. Grace is what is given that is not deserved. And friend, if you still think that somehow your good deeds or your religion or something you have done is making you acceptable to God, I want to lovingly tell you, you are deceived. That's a lie that Satan wants you to believe. Because you cannot earn your way to God. No matter how much good you do in life, you cannot undo your sins. It's like this. If someone were to go uh, and, and murder someone else, and they were caught red-handed, and they were put on trial, and they went before the, 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 uh, the, the court, and they put up a defense, but they were found guilty, and then the judge went to sentence them. And right before their sentence, they said, okay, judge, here's the truth. I am guilty. I committed this murder. But that's like the only thing that I've ever done wrong. I pay my taxes on time. I help my elderly neighbors. I go to church. I'm an upstanding citizen. I do good things. Can't you just let me off? And I promise, if you do, I will live the rest of my life serving the community. And, and I will do so much good to undo this one mistake. What would a just judge do? Would he let him off? No, of course not. It doesn't matter how good of a person someone is. When you break the law, you violate the law, you must pay for that. Right? Well, God is a just judge. And sin must be paid for. And we cannot make up for it. The only way that sin is paid for is by death. But friend, I want you to know, Christ took that upon Himself and paid your sin debt so that you can be forgiven. And now, salvation is freely offered to you by grace, God's gift. If you have not received God's gift of grace, if you have never believed on Him, trusted Him to save you, can I encourage you today? Don't try to do this yourself. You cannot save yourself. Turn to Christ, call upon Him. The Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's a promise from God. Receive His gift of eternal life and be born again today. There is saving grace. And many of us in this room have experienced that. I, I received God's saving grace when I called upon Christ and asked Him to save me. But there's another kind of grace and there's a sustaining grace. This is a grace that God gives me, not because I deserve it, but He helps me to go on day by day. He gives me the grace that I need in measure to my need. And so each day, as I face challenges and difficult things, God gives grace. And He even invites us to come and ask for that grace. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse number 15 tells us that we're to come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Friend, are you here and burdened 
by something, a life, the cares of life, a trial that you're facing, a difficulty in life, and you're just not sure that you can get through. You know what God's invitation is? Come to me and I'll give you grace. Jesus said, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And God wants to give you his sustaining grace. There's another kind of grace that the Bible talks about, and this is what I would call strengthening grace. It's, it's God's divine enabling to carry out his will for us. Did you know that for every child of God, he has a very specific plan and will for your life? But in order to be what God wants you to be, you need His grace. 1 Corinthians 12 and Romans chapter 12 and Ephesians 4 talk about gifts that are given by God to His people in order to serve Him within the church. And it actually calls these gifts the grace of God. Acts chapter 2 says great grace was upon them all. I mean, this is just... Uh, th this is just God's way of blessing His people. He saves us by grace, He sustains us by grace, and He strengthens us by His grace and enables us to do what He wants us to do. In other words, what we could say is that from the, the moment of salvation until we meet the Lord face to face, we live by the grace of God. We need God. Friend, do you know that you need Him today? You need God in your life. You need His help, you need His strength, you need Him to sustain you. And if you're trying to do things on your own, and in your own strength, and in your own ability, you're going to be frustrated and failing. You need the grace of God. And so, this greeting, grace be unto you and peace, this is more than just a simple greeting. This is actually a statement of what they needed most. They needed God's grace in their life. And then he says, and peace. You see, peace is really what every person desires in life, is it not? Isn't that what we're looking for? Peace. People talk about the need for world peace. But more than just world peace, most people are searching for peace in their own life. They want contentment. They don't want turmoil and conflict. Have you ever laid awake at night feeling like something's missing? You know what that is? That's a lack of peace. You know what it is that makes you feel like you just don't have enough and if I just worked a little bit harder and earned a little bit more, I could buy these things and then I'd finally be happy. You know what that is? That's a lack of peace. You know what it is that makes you feel like I'm just not fulfilled without this person in my life or without this individual or without this relationship? It's a lack of peace. You know what it is that causes people to, to go searching for entertainment, to go searching for uh, 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 just different things that will kind of uh, soothe their, their, their need for other things, it's a lack of peace. Do you know what it is that drives people to alcohol and drugs? It's a lack of peace. I see people all the time, I mentioned it just the other night, people walking up and down the roads over, over here and past the church and down Highway K or walking around town over here, I see them. And in their eyes, you can just see an emptiness, so many of them. You know what there is? There's a lack of peace. And the thing is, 
you might have a good life. And you might not have addictions. And you might have money. And you might have a nice house. And you might have good relationships. But unless you have the Lord, you do not have peace. Not true peace. Jesus said in John 14, verse 27, He said, Peace I give to you. Peace I leave with you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. He said, My peace I leave with you. You see, we don't need the world's peace. We need God's peace. And that's what He's saying. I I want God's grace to be in your life and the result of that to be the peace of God that can only come from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be unto you. Friend, I want to ask you, do you have God's peace in your life today? Do you have His grace? Are you walking in fellowship with Him? And then as we read on in Philippians chapter 1, look at verse number 3. It says, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making request with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. He, he really goes right into, in, in, in this letter, an expression of his deep love and appreciation for the brethren at Philippi. Now, I want to say this. I believe that every Christian should have this attitude about other Christians. Paul writes this letter. He makes it clear to these people that they were dear to him, that he loved them, that that he was burdened for them, that he wanted to be with them and to be in in their presence and to fellowship with them. This This should be the natural tendency for every child of God to want to be around other Christians, other believers in Christ. In other words, not only are we supposed to, you know, love them from a distance, but we're to be thankful for them. Honestly, I do not understand. I don't understand how someone can claim to be a believer in Christ and have no desire to be part of a scriptural church. Because not only do we get here the Word of God fed to us, an opportunity for corporate worship and all of those things, opportunities for service, but we get a family. You know, when I, when I look out at the congregation today, I see my family. And I want you to know, I love you like I love my family. Just like my parents, my sister, my, I mean, my cousins. I mean, you're my family. Brothers and sisters in Christ. And, and Paul says, I want you to know, I'm thankful for you. And church family, can I tell you something today? I'm thankful for you. I'm thankful that God has put you in my life. I'm thankful to be part of this together. Serving God together. He says, I I, I thank God for you in every prayer of mine. Ooh, this is convicting. What is Paul saying? Every time I pray, I mention your names. Can I ask you how frequently do you pray for the brethren? How often do you pray for one another? And seek to... 
help them by praying for them, specifically in their spiritual growth. If you notice, what he's going to talk about here in, in these coming verses, and we'll be getting to this in future weeks, he's not talking about, I'm praying for you that you'll prosper financially and be successful in life and that you'll have good health. Now, he may have prayed for those things, but that was not the primary emphasis. What he's praying for is for them to grow in their love and in their knowledge of God and, and in their service to Him. How often do you pray for one another to grow in Christ? And he says in verse number 5, for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. What's interesting to me about this is he says, I thank God for you, I pray for you, I'm thankful for your fellowship. Now when you think of fellowship, what is the first thing that comes to your mind? Maybe you think of, hey, after church is dismissed, we're going to go out into the foyer and some of us are going to stick around for a few minutes and we're going to chat a little bit and uh, we're going to talk about our week and we're going to talk about the weather and uh, we're going to talk about politics or whatever it might be, our sports teams, and then we're going to go home, go our separate ways. But we had some fellowship. Or maybe you're more spiritual than that and you say, well, we're going to talk about biblical things, we're going to talk about what the Lord's doing in our lives and share prayer requests with each other and then we're going to leave and we're going to go home and whatever. This word fellowship, it means more than just having a few minutes of connection. In fact, the same word is translated in other parts of the New Testament as communion. For instance, in 1 Corinthians 10 where it talks about the Lord's Supper service and being in communion with Christ and with one another. There is a commonality, there is a bond in Christ. But it also is the same word that is translated communion in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, where it says that we are not to be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. It says, for what communion hath light with darkness? You know what a yoke is? A yoke was a piece of farm equipment that was meant to tie two animals together, two beasts of burden, that they would get in this yoke together and like plow a field. They were pulling in the same direction. They were working together. That was a yoke, and it was likened to communion, the same word that is here used for fellowship. What's he saying? We're connected. In Christ, we have a bond. And by the way... This bond is thicker than blood. We have, you and I have, something in common. And that is Christ. We have been born again. We are His children. We are part of His family. If you know Christ as your Savior, you are my brother or my sister. But it goes beyond that because we are also partners. We are co-laborers in Christ. And this is what he's saying. Folks, I thank God for you because we together are serving God. Do you know what the real bond of fellowship is? Do you know what that tie is that binds? You ever heard that old hymn, Blessed be the tie that binds? Do you know what that bond that really is? We are mutually serving God together by His grace. 
That's what it's supposed to be. We're supposed to be linked up, arm in arm, serving God together. And Paul writes to this church at Philippi and he says, listen, I love you and I'm thankful for you because you are, are, are co-laborers. We are in communion. We have fellowship in the gospel. Do you see how much deeper that goes than just a few minutes chatting about life at the end of a service? This was a connection. And Paul from a prison cell was able to write to them and say, I'm thankful, I'm joyful because of you. He said in verse number four, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making requests with joy. When I think of you, it brings joy to my heart. And I pray for you. And so we'll conclude this this morning with this simple question. First of all, have you received the grace of God? Have you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ and been born again, as the Bible says? Have your sins been forgiven? Do you know that when you die, that you will stand before God and be accepted, not because of your own works, but because of Christ? Do you have that confidence? Do you have the grace of God in salvation? And secondly, if you do, How's your fellowship with God, but also with the brethren? And may I encourage you to strengthen the bond that we have in Christ by serving God together and committing to praying for each other that we would grow in Him.